Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to another episode of the Adventures in Advising podcast. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Each episode, we strive to bring together the global academic advising community to share knowledge, best practices, and of course, advising stories. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Advising Podcast. Without further ado, here's the latest episode, and as always, keep advising. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Adventures in Advising. It's our eighth episode of 2021, and we have a couple of great interviews for you to enjoy. Yes, we do. And welcome again to the podcast. Before we get to our interviews, just wanted to say that we've gotten a few questions, comments about the Adventures in Advising Sharing Stories t-shirt that appeared in one of our previous social media posts. And just to let you know, hang tight, more info to come regarding the t-shirt. Hint, hint, listen in to our May 3rd episode. Also look out for a future social media post very soon about a way we're expanding the podcast. Fun, fun. So let's get to it with our first interview with Michael Drew from University at Albany. We talk about a lot of things from peer advising, being an assistant director and conducting training during a pandemic, chairing the UAlbany community for academic advisors. We talk about mentors and even Liverpool Football Club. So here we go. Hey, friends, our guest right now is longtime listener and friend, Michael Giroux. Since January 2020, Michael has been in the role of assistant director with the Academic Support Center at University at Albany. Michael also serves as chair and is a founding member of UAlbany's Community for Academic Advising. Previously, Michael was an academic advisor and coordinator of the Peer Advisor Program and has served as an adjunct professor for an academic skills development course. At the College of St. Rose, Michael served as coordinator of field placement and advising, as well as co-director of the Adventure Challenge Program. Since 2011, Michael has been a member of NACADA, the Global Community for Academic Advising, where he is a part of various advising communities presented at conferences, assisted with conference planning, and is currently a mentor in Region 1 and 2's mentoring program and is a member of the Web Events Advisory Board. Michael earned his BA in English from Hobart and William Smith Colleges, his Master of Science in Educational Psychology with a concentration in Program Evaluation from the College of St. Rose, and is currently working toward his PhD in Educational Policy and Leadership from University at Albany. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you both for uh, inviting me to join the conversation. This is a real honor uh, for me. Um, I'm so excited to be here. So many friends and mentors in Nakata have already graced their presence, you know, on the podcast. So I'm just, it's its a real pleasure to be with you guys today. Well, we're delighted to have the opportunity to talk to you. And as Matt said in, in the bio, you are a longtime supporter. We appreciate the, the shout outs you give to the podcast on social media. And as you are a, a, a listener, you know what, what's coming up. You know how we begin. We love to, to get to know you and for our listeners to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. So we always begin with finding out like how it was that you came to find yourself working in higher ed. Absolutely. And yes, that question we all know is coming. Um, like many of my friends and colleagues in higher ed, yeah, the path was very windy and had a lot of twists and turns, ups and downs. Um, if I reflect on my time at Hobart, 
I would say that I was engaged very well socially, but not as well academically. Um, you know, as now I'm studying the models like Tinto's model of departure. I was very close to not making it through. Um, I had faculty members as advisors, but it was not the advising experience that I'm now giving my students, you know, in my role here at uh, UAlbany. And so it wasn't actually until um, one of the deans, uh, the dean of Hobart, who basically became my champion. He was a champion for me and my success and really helped me get through that time. But as an undergrad, I spent time as a tour guide and an intern in undergrad admissions. And that was my first entree into, you know, the higher ed world. Um, You fast forward, finished with the English degree, um, which was not the major originally. It was environmental science. And then I realized I'm not good at math and science. It does not speak to me. I don't speak that language. And so I flipped the script in junior year, a little late, but we made it work. And upon graduating, I spent my 20s really exploring who I was, who I, um, what I wanted to do. I spent time in the Carolinas working at a climbing gym. I was a teacher in Boston. Um, but then in about 2004, I found my way back to higher ed uh, in an admissions position at Greenmont College. And so that was my first official position in higher education. And that was a great starting point. I learned a lot. I had a supervisor who was a who was tough to work for, um, you know. But it really it toughened me up and it helped me kind of really focus on, okay, what do I need to do to start to grow? Um, and unfortunately, today Greenmont College is no longer open. It was a small private liberal arts institution, uh, environmental liberal arts institution, and it has since closed. And after that role, I stepped away from higher ed. Did some work in restaurants, um, and I've even done some pest control work, family business, and my grandfather started the business, so I had to see if that was an option, and then I realized I am an education person. My mother was a teacher for many years, I think that's where I get it from, um, and came back into higher ed, through admissions again at St. Rose, and that's where things started to come together for me. I'm like, okay, I'm back in, I'm starting to work at an institution that students are really looking to go to, you know, attend in the capital region and beyond, and I had to realize at that point that residential life I was not interested in, student affairs not really interested in, admissions was really, really good, but not quite what I was looking for. And then when I was afforded the opportunity to move into field placement and advisement, that's where I found my niche. And that's where things, you know, came together uh, for me. And then I started, did my master's work um, and surprised my folks uh, with, I think, some of the grades I was earning as a master's student. They were like, finally, like, yes, this is what we know he's capable <laughs> of doing. Uh, so I I share my struggles a lot with my students uh, as an advisor to say, I I know what it's like, you know, to struggle and to not do well. And I let my students know that doesn't mean the doors are closed. I'm like, but let's... Let's not do it exactly like I did. Let's keep those doors open, you know, sooner, you know, than uh, you can. Um, and St. Rose, my time at St. Rose was great. I was placing student teachers and advising, um, doing work in other programs like Adventure Challenge, uh, where we would take students a couple days before the semester started as a freshman down to Cooperstown and do some high ropes, low ropes course, adventure programming. Uh, and it was just a great first, I think that's really kind of like the official, like big first step in my career. But then when I came to UAlbany, that's where I went from more of a job to the career. And so it's a bit about my story. <laughs> now, you, yeah, you've been at various institutions, and those institutions have varied in size of like the student populations. And of course, with any institution, there's differences in academic policies and things like that, or getting used to a different campus culture. 
how is it for you moving from like smaller institutions to now being at UAlbany? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. Great question. I found, you know, because I'm a, I like to be known across, you know, across campus. I like to be the one who's helping as many folks as possible. And at a smaller institution, you know, that came together faster. Uh, and the School of Education at St. Rose quickly became the advisor that even faculty went to, you know, with questions about their students because we had advisement um, in our office. I had a caseload, but I also had faculty members who had a caseload. So I realized that it was easier to make those connections like earlier on in my career, you know, at St. Rose, um, in some regards, decisions were made a little bit faster with a small, like the private liberal arts school. Like, you want something done? Let's pull it together, get the team together, people on board, and we'll make it happen. Um, you know, moving into the University of Albany, a large institution, I quickly realized that there are many, many more opportunities here. Um, I think that comes with being an R1 level one research institution with, you know, having doctorate programs, master's programs, undergrad programs, the student population at Albany is so much more diverse. So my eyes were open really wide when I walked in in 2013. Plus my daughter was born four weeks after I started at UAlbany. So that first spring semester was a little hazy to say the least. Um, But, you know, working at a state institution, it's interesting how times things will happen very quickly and other times things will take a little bit longer <laughs> as i'm sure we all can appreciate um but some of those opportunities and the things that we're doing here at you albany and the things that our students are, are doing uh to this day i've been here over eight years it still amazes me uh i never looked at you albany when i was looking at colleges i wanted a small school i needed a small school if i came here as a, fr- a first year student i would not have survived at all it was too big for me. Uh, so I work really hard to help my students really kind of make it seem a smaller and make it more of a community, uh, you, know, for, you know, for sure. But there is uh, a difference. And it took me longer to become, you know, kind of like the, a go-to person on campus. Um, and I'd say maybe in the past three years, I really started to kind of grow into more of that um, that role as a, a key person on campus that, you know, folks can rely on for advisement, support, and advice. It is really interesting, I suppose, how some students do want larger institutions and and thrive in that, and and others, you know, will succeed better in in smaller institutions. But one of the things that you mentioned there um, that strikes me, you you talked about the the birth of your daughter just after you'd started. And I suppose now I'm I'm seeing you're in a role where, you know, you're you're working um, in advising. You have a family, but you're also studying for a PhD. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, I suppose that the PhD studies and how you go about juggling all of those things? Yes, um, it is. It is a juggling act for, uh, for sure. You, per the advice of um, a good friend of mine, Rachel Moody, who's in the program as well. Yeah, she recommended start the program as a non-degree student. 
Uh, so you, I, which is what I did. I started as a non-degree student, and so I'm allowed. I was allowed at the time to take elective courses. Um, you know, you have to apply, but to not full application, you can take elective courses, and you're committed, but not fully committed, you know, to the program. And so let me just start that way to see if you know what columnists are saying. Can I balance the PhD, the work, and have and a family? Um, and I started it. Yeah, I want to say it was fall 2018. So at the time, um, both my daughter and my son were old enough that we can make that, you know, um, make that work. And let's, you know, don't get me wrong. This was a family decision. You know, this was something that I thought of um, for my growth, you know, in higher education. I, um, advice from many folks in the field, you know, would say, you know, if you want a seat at that table, the credentialing has to be there. And so for my growth, I'm like, okay, I see this is the pathway that I have to follow. Um, and so I was like, okay, let's I have a conversation with my wife and I'm like, let's make this a family decision. Um, and so it was two years of, um, non-degree work and I am able to attend part-time. So I take one course a semester and that's my bandwidth. You know, I can't not, I cannot take on more than that. And so this past fall, 2020, I transitioned from non-degree to matriculated in the program. It was a rather long, um, application process for me. I had to take the GRE exam, which I did not have to do for my master's program. I do not go well with standardized testing. We do not get along. <laughs> so as I know, that relates to many of us, you know, in the field. So we're, I'm now matriculated, um, but it is, it's a delicate balance. Uh, fortunately for me, I'm an early riser. And so I am up doing my coursework usually at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. is my time. Um, every morning, you know, throughout the week, you know, if I have a lot to do, I'll get up at four and jump right into it. Whereas many of my friends in the program are more than night owls. Uh, so, you know, balancing that and being relatively new in my role as an assistant director, yeah, it is a lot, but I'm amazed even to this day, how much of it is coming together, drawing off of my coursework in what I'm doing as an administrator. Uh, it's phenomenal. You know, to think, even actually at the Administrators Institute, when uh, Charlie Nutt is quoting George Koo at all in his opening, you know, um, presentation, I'm like, I know that guy. Well, I don't know him personally, but I'm like, I've studied that. I've used that book. I know that book. It's here on my shelf. Um, and I, you know, was not the nerd in undergrad, and I now say I'm a higher ed nerd through and through. I, I can't get enough of it. Uh, but the days are long, and uh, right now I have two papers due um, before May 12th. You know, and it's about my course is about leadership this semester, which is is great, and I'm learning a lot. But it also, like, okay, how am I going to piece this together? We're in the middle of advising season. I'm advising you know staff that's in their second semester of it. You know, being an advisor ever, um, so I'm grateful that I have a lot of energy because <laughs> it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> a lot of energy, a lot of coffee, maybe. Yes, uh, coffee in the morning and. Either tea or water in the afternoon. Actually, my um, World's Okayest Assistant Director mug. Compliments of Tara Maroney, my my good best Nikata friend, <laughs> helps get me through the day. <laughs> that is a perfect coffee mug. Yep. And you mentioned being Assistant Director, and you know you have to you know talking about balancing. I mean, you balance a caseload. You have various administrative duties. And you also have to train new staff. Yes. And something you've had to do was train new staff remotely. Yes. So 
In a previous episode we had, we had interviewed J.J. Jensen from Columbia College Chicago, and J.J. talked about being trained remotely as a new advisor to the campus um, at her institution and not being able to meet everyone in person, not even get to know her, all her colleagues. So I guess from an administrator perspective, uh, for you having to train, how has that been? Like, what's the process been like? And how have you ensured that like your new advisors get the training they need and can feel like they're a part of not just the campus, but maybe also the department that they're working in? That's, that is a great question. It has been a great experience and a, a challenge um, as well. We onboarded nine new folks uh, last summer. Uh, and so, you know, I'm brand new into my role as assistant director, you know, and I'll first touch kind of on my, the balance of my day, I am toggling back and forth um, throughout my days between being an administrator and then being an, an advisor. And I know this comes with time, but to be honest with you, it, it, it's a challenge. It is not easy, you know, to keep putting those hats, taking them on, putting them on and off all, you know, all day long um, and to see my, you know, work in different lenses. Um, you know, I worried the other day that, you know, Mike, am I being... Am I giving my students my best, you know, the level of advisement, um, you know, that I, you know, am accustomed to, you know, and I strive to give all my students, um, you know, then you, you kind of pause and reflect and say, well, you love what you do. This is my passion. This is my career. So that's going to, you know, that's going to be there. Um, but it, it's, it can be difficult, you know, some days uh, to have those big administrative, you know, focused conversations. And then you jump into an advising conversation. And last week I had three back-to-back appointments. And all three of them were heavy. You know, at the end of that day, it was, I'm like, I need a moment. Um, but, you know, in terms of bringing staff on, we had to do it all um, all via Zoom. We did a couple in-person um, initial meetings to pick up laptops, you know, and say hello to each other. And it was like, okay, go home and I'll see you on Zoom. <laughs> and we spent, you know, a lot of uh, training sessions you know your your standard. Uh, let's learn the nuts and bolts of the you know the curriculum of the majors. Um, talking about you know financial aid, um, you know training, you know tap training. Um, you know, so then I started to think about how am I going to connect with my staff. So I supervised five staff members, four of which came in in our new cohort. How am I going to stay connected with them? You know, and how am I going to kind of fill in that void of the pop into the office with a question? So I started to utilize Slack and I pulled all the newer folks together on Slack and said, this is where we're going to live for those quick questions. Uh, And we set up a bunch of different channels, even like a words of wisdom channel, a motivation channel, appreciation channel, uh, just to keep folks, you know, connected. Um, I'm realizing my supervision style is, you know, I'm a supervisor, but I also view myself as a mentor and as a coach. And as I think about my own growth into higher ed, I, you know, I've had some great folks I worked with along the way, um, but it wasn't until recently that I've had someone actually say, Mike, what are your goals as a higher ed professional? And let me help you accomplish that. A lot of what I have done has been self-driven. So I think about that and I'm trying to kind of backfill that um, for the folks that I'm now supervising. And so I'm asking them even simple questions of what have you read you know, recently? You know, like, and we gave them a, a training packet of of a bunch of articles. I'm like, we'll pick an article, we'll all read it, and let's discuss it. You know, and I'm having conversations with them about what are your goals. One of my um, staff members is interested in a PhD program, so I'm like, great, let's like start researching it. Let's talk about it. What you know, you know, what works for you. Um, 
And so, you know, I, I do um, weekly check-ins with my staff members um, on Zoom. Um, we use, you know, we use Slack. Uh, we have staff meetings um, on Zoom. We try to keep things, you know, light. We actually, there's three of us as assistant directors, and then we have our director. The four of us each have a, uh, what we call a breakout group, and so we meet with breakout groups um, bi-weekly, and that's a blend of folks in the new cohort and more of the seasoned staff. Some of those conversations have an agenda, and others it's okay. Imagine we're around the you know, the, you know, the table having a cup of coffee, just catching up. Yeah, so we're trying, we're trying, you know. But we, I, I you know, it's interesting. You um, interviewed the other um, person earlier. Um, you talking about her or you know their experience on the other side. We recognize in the coming weeks we are we're coming back. We're coming back in mid-June. We have to get ready for freshman orientation. That's going to be in person. Our newer staff have yet to experience advising here at UAlbany as an in-person advisor. So we're going to have to do an, like a second or third orientation, right, and walk them through that that process. And what does it mean to, to get a student in the lobby and bring them back to your office as opposed to letting them in your Zoom room? You know, it's a lot to... I have to kind of go back to my early days. What was it like when I started? <laughs> so it's a lot. Yeah, they're, they're going to be so much to consider because we're also going to have what we would deem second-year students who may not have been on campus, and they're going to be coming to campus alongside our first-year students. So there's lots of planning uh, going on. Now, I'm interested because you talked, I suppose, about like being a mentor, being a supervisor, being a leader. And you recorded a, a video for us about a year ago for Nakata's 40th birthday. And in that, you mentioned Vince Kluskowski. I hope I'm, I'm getting his name right. Um, but you mentioned how he had been a, a, something of a mentor to you. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, about that and maybe how that kind of shaped your own approach. Absolutely. So ironically, I met Vince... Actually, I think it was my first Nakata conference, Region 1 conference, and it was at an Emerging Leaders Program presentation. Uh, and afterwards, um, I just felt there was a connection. You know, I'm like, you know, this fellow is, like, amazing. I'm like, I'm going to talk to him. And so I just, I'm a very outgoing person. I know you fellows have picked up on that. I went up and just introduced myself, and we started talking, and we had an hour-long conversation, um, and we just kept that relationship uh, you know, going and to have have someone who has those years of experience both in higher education uh, and Nakata. You know, he has he had done many years of admissions work, so we had that connection. And at the time, he was working at St. Joseph's College in Maine, um, and then he's actually has since um, completed his doctorate program. So just have somebody to bounce ideas off of, um, and to you know just talk about: Am I doing things? Right, and I say that with air quotes because you know everyone's pathway is different. But in um, the steps I'm taking, making sense. Or does it you know make sense for you know my growth? Um, so he has just in our conversations alone has pushed me, you know, to reach that in that next level. Uh, and you know I applied for emerging leaders program one year. Uh, unfortunately, was not admitted to that class. And then I turned my attention you know towards the PhD. And so you know recognizing. There's, I only have so much bandwidth, like we all do. So I'm like, well, let me find mentorship in other avenues of Nakata, with you know, other than going through emerging leaders. So Vince is one of my mentors. Kevin Thomas has become one of my mentors. We met at Region One conference in Connecticut, where 
that one was shut down after a day, and then and actually, um, ironically and a surprise to me was he was one of my faculty for the Administrators Institute um, this year, and so we reconnected. Um, you know, and he, and it was between um, him and uh, Loxley Nibs who suggested you should create an Akata resume. And so I said, well, this is perfect. Preparing for for the podcast, let me make my Nakata resume, and it really helped to kind of keep you know keep track of things. Um, you know, Vince and I are trying to com- kind of pull our writing ideas together, and are starting to discuss uh, co-authoring uh, a paper uh, potentially. You know, which I'm really really excited about. So, you know, there are ways you can find mentorship, you know, within your organization, and. What I love about Nakata is we, many of us call it the Nakata family. You know, as you move up in leadership, you know, positions, um, you don't take on a leadership role to make friends, right? And so I've had to kind of adjust some of my relationships, you know, with even some folks, you know, uh, on campus, which is absolutely fine. So now I'm looking more at my Nakata family for those friendships. Like, you know, you two fellows, like Kevin, Vince, you know, Ryan, and some folks I have not met in person, you know, I hope to meet you two in person at some point, you know, and, um, but that's where, um, I, I lean, right. I lean on the folks. Um, I even, um, texted Kevin this morning and said, okay, I have my recording today. <laughs> like, what do you recommend? How do, I, how to prepare? And then of course I can't get the headphones to work that I brought with me. So, <laughs> you know, but yes, lots of great folks. But we adapt, <laughs> you know, that's, and we're making advisors. it work. Yeah. <laughs> we do best. <laughs> But and and all great people that that you've mentioned, I think that's a great tip from Loxley in terms of having that like Nakata resume. And if anything, too, as you probably wrote yours, you saw like, wow, look how much I've actually accomplished so far, yes. and how much I still want to do. Yes. And one of the things at U Albany, you're the chair of the U Albany Community for Academic Advisors, and this is something that you were part of in terms of founding. And I think this started back in 2018 or so. And the premise is to bring the advisors together and kind of break down those silos. So how's it been going over these last few years with with bringing those advisors on? And also, do you feel you've been effective in breaking down some of those silos? I, I believe we have. Yeah, this idea came from a session at a Region 1 conference. Um, UVM, University of Vermont, has a... Um, I think they call it pails, um, but they were, you know, like a brown bag lunch series where they bring advisors together and, you know, connect. And so myself and um, one of our other advisors, John Martinez, we decided, you know, let's try to do that at UAlbany, but make it a little bit more formal. Uh, and so we have the Academic Support Center, you know, where we advise all the uh, incoming first year class, with the exception of the EOP, uh, Education Opportunity Program students, and we advise a good portion of the sophomores. And then when a student moves into their major, the majority of our majors have a, a full-time professional advisor there as well, you know, and so we have many advisors across, you know, um, our campus. So we're trying to decide or think about how can we bring everyone together and really start to have those conversations about what does it mean to be an advisor in an academic support center as compared to a, a you know, school of business advisor, communication advisor, journalism advisor, et cetera. So we said, well, let's, let's just try it. Yeah, and it's interesting because I often reference the two of you and developing this podcast, you know, when I'm talking to advisors, I'm like, if there's something you want to do, all right, you think about this, Adventures in Advising, think about UCAA, peer advising, if there's something you're passionate about, I said, then just do it, 
right? Many of us who, you know, folks think, oh, wow, they're doing great things. Someone must have said, hey, can you do this? No, we thought of an idea. We've made it work. Um, so we were like, well, let's, let's schedule some sessions, you know, and I offer, you know, coffee and tea and breakfast, um, you know, treats. Of course, food brings everyone <laughs> together. And when we were in person, we were averaging 30 to 40 folks a session. We had sessions about working with students on academic probation, uh, managing large caseloads. Case we even had one session where everyone shared. We first said we all recognize that we're academic advisors at first, but let's all talk about all the other things that we do. So like my colleagues who um, have to help put together the schedule of classes for their department. Well, there's a time in the semester where they are, you know, overstretched. And so, okay, I'm going to not you know, reach out too much you know, right now. Um, and we wanted to recognize what is everyone else doing? And, and then, we moved, then we moved into the pandemic and using Zoom actually brought more folks, to, you know, to the table. We started averaging 60 to 70. You know, we're doing... Um, Town halls with uh, Dr. Joan Maltester, our Vice Provost and Dean for Undergraduate Education. She oversees our uh, department. You know, to keep people abreast of the changes, we were doing conversations about burnout and just bringing folks together just to just to chat. Um, you know, we had our folks who just we hired. You know, recently they did a little. We did a little meet and greet over lunch, and I feel yeah that our advisors now know more about each other, and it's helping you know, our students, that's really what the premise is. Like if I have good connections with my departmental friends and I have a student who's struggling or needs that connection, I can say, you know what, I'm going to call Karen Williams, the English advisor, and I want you to go talk to her about a combined BAMA program, you know, to, so to make those connections for, um, for students is most important. But in this past year is the support for um, our colleagues, you know, and advising, we're not centralized across campus. Uh, we have a four-year advising model now in play that might start to bring things more centralized, you know, but we want everyone to come to the table, bring your ideas to the table, and in the future, try to have a, a bigger, more collective voice of advisors on campus, you know, so then we can start to help administration on the upper levels really understand what it means to be an advisor on the front lines, you know, with our students, especially now during, like, you know, a pandemic. So we have, we have a session um, next week, actually, and we're going to show one of the Region 1, Region 2 um, session videos about burnout in uh, academic advising. And so then we're going to have breakout rooms and um, we'll discuss. And maybe I won't be the host on that one, so actually I can go into a breakout room <laughs> of that chat. <laughs> I, I think your uh, commitment to professional development is is admirable, but you have that commitment and that passion for, for student support and for you know, fellow um, staff support. And I think one of the things I, I'm interested in talking to you a little bit about is around peer advising and peer advisors, because this is something you have done. And I saw, and I, I'm probably going to butcher his name because I just saw it written down, but there is uh, on LinkedIn, you, Dante Cantu, I believe, if I'm getting the name correct, mentioned uh, how that you are a wonderful colleague and he remains grateful for the way in which you generously provided support and guidance um, to for the implementation and launch of their peer advising program. 
So I suppose interested in, in hearing about, you know, for, for listeners who are um, interested in peer advisors or, or implementing a new peer advising program, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, and I'm going to bring it right back to Connections through Nakata. Uh, it was another Region 1 conference. I was presenting on our peer advisor program. Uh, Dante was in the audience, you know, and then that connection turned into a wonderful friendship. And so our peer advisor program started originally, I want to say in 2011 or 2012. Um, Kristen Swaney, who is now our, our director, started the program. And at the time, we actually were kind of relying and leaning on some of our work studies who really wanted to go above and beyond and get more involved. And so it was, okay, great. Here, help the student with the registration process. And so about a year and a half after I started, um, Kristen passed the program on to me. And so then I was looking to make it a little bit more formal. And I wanted to have the team grow. So I implemented an application process. And it was not an application that was shared on campus. We did it through nomination. So I would have, you know, my colleagues, you know, as you're talking to your students, if someone interested who wants to really help their peers, Give me their name. I'll give them the application. Uh, and we went from a, a small team of six to one semester I had 25. And so our peer advisors work on kind of like the second half of the advising appointment process. So we would do the developmental advising conversation with our students, and then we would bring them out to the lobby, connect them with a the peer advisor, and the peer advisor helps the student through the registration process. Um, while doing so, they're developing that peer-to-peer -peer connection. You know, and like most of the students in my office are the first years and sophomores, and to, to connect with, let's say, a junior, you know, is a, is a great experience for, you know, for the student. Um, we rely on the peer advisors to help us with tabling, they assist advisors in presentations, um, you know, in seminars. Yeah, they have done some blogging, and, you know, and so they're just really embedded into uh, into the work, you know, that we uh, that we've been doing. And so it, recently, I actually passed the program on to uh, Olivia Mahalko, who is a former peer advisor. She was actually my advisee, uh, peer advisor. Became our grad assistant, and, and then we hired her. So she's the first one to go through the whole the whole process, as you would like to see it happen. Uh, and then Sarah Gelfin, who's uh, another new hire. The two of them are co coordinating the program now. And I recognize if you're the only if you're the only person overseeing peer advising, there is a lot. Yeah, you know, I would do a staff retreat. Uh, the, like right before every semester started, we do team building, we do training. I would continue the training myself, but you're really mentoring uh, these students. And these are some of the brightest, you know, and kind of help them develop themselves as young professionals. And I recognize being one person overseeing a team of 20, there was a ceiling there, you know, and so in conversations I've had with Olivia and Sarah, it's like the two of you can now kind of divide and conquer. So Sarah has the team blogging and we have an ask chat lounge that uh, Rachel Moody had started yeah, a few years ago, and Sarah is you know taking that part over. So the peer advisors are blogging. We try to do one blog a week, and they can write about whatever they want. Olivia is implementing a pilot mentoring program because we always have a cohort of students who come in as freshmen in spring semester. So we, we're trying to pair all those spring freshmen with a peer advisor to do more mentoring. Um, and so then when we come back, the peer advisors will be back in action helping students you know, with registration. And so... We offer our peer advisors credit through a community and public service program. Yeah, I would love to be able to pay them. You know, so we have work studies in the office who help with the administrative 
roles and help our office managers, you know, do the front desk support. The peer advisors get credit. Uh, I think if we were able to pay them, we could probably take it to another level. Um, but yes, I, you know, I did connect with Dante and shared what we were doing and share what we look for in students who want to be peer advisors. And anyone I would interview, you know, we're looking for people who are like a three O average. You know, you have to be going into sophomore year or above. Um, for a while, I mandated that you needed to be able to commit to the program for two semesters. Yeah, we didn't want to put a lot of energy into training somebody for just one semester and then, you know, they're out the door. Um, but it really was, you were looking for those students who wanted to, to really help others. And I tell them all the time, I can teach you the nuts and bolts. I can teach you how to read a degree audit, how to navigate registration a little bit better. But if you don't have that willingness and that compassion and that patience to, to be there with your peers and help them, that's a, a tough one, you know, to create. And I know other peer advisor programs flip um, the script a bit where they'll have a student come in and meet with a peer advisor first to talk about course ideas. So then when the student meets with the advisor, you know, um, that prescriptive part of that conversation is already a little bit of taken care of. And then the advisor is able to just really kind of go wholeheartedly deep dive developmental. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, various uh, approaches uh, to advising. It's always nice uh, to learn from a lot of different other institutions what they're doing and, oh, can we implement at our institution? You also presented at Nakata Region One's conference on professional development. And I think it was like a reflection series that that was done. What were the components uh, within that series? And, you know, are there any takeaways that you could share with, with listeners that they might benefit from? Absolutely. That was uh, with John Martinez, the same fellow I started UCAA with. So we did a pre-conference session um, based on something we had done here on campus. And we called the Reflection Series, Guide to Professional Development. And we did a three-part series. And so we did it as, you know, condensed as a pre-con. We did a three-part series on campus where we first um, had folks share their story of how they got into advising. Right, so similar to how we started today, uh, we wanted everyone to uh, reflect on. We actually made little journals for everyone, and, and you know, so everyone was able to journal and reflect, and then share out, you know, how you were able to get into advising. Because we don't want to lose sight of the fact that advisors we come from so many different walks of life, or so many pathways into advising, and so we play to those strengths. If I'm working with a student um, and I know a colleague will be a better fit for them in that part of the conversation or at any point, I can just go down the hall and say, you know, hey, Chris, um, you know, you're, you're our, our pre-law, you know, advisor. You know, this student's really thinking about law school, um, you know, and you know, Chris is, I think he has two master's degrees. I think he did an uh, MBA, if I remember correctly. And, you know, I said, can you talk to them about, you know, your own experience? And the more students hear from um, the different, you know, approaches, you know, the better off yeah, I think they're you know, going to be. So we wanted folks to first recognize what was your path into advising and how does that kind of um, 
guide you know, how you are as an advisor. And then, so the second part was um, looking at being authentic in your approach as an advisor. So I share a lot about my own experience you know, as an undergrad. And there was times while I've, I've shared my undergrad transcript with students, you know, so they know that I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that there's low grades on there. You know, I said, do not let a bad semester or a bad grade define you. I said, how we conquer that hurdle, that's going to define you, you know, in life, you know, and I talk a lot about grit and determination with my students. Yeah. Because that is really what, yeah, the catalyst for where I am today. It's that grit. Um, so we talked about authenticity, you know, in advising, you know, and the more you're an advisor, the longer you do this, the more you become comfortable in the role and the more of yourself comes out. We don't want, you know, we don't take over the conversation, but, you know, more of the true yourself, you know, will, will appear. And then we try to bring that together and to have folks start to think about where do you see yourself kind of growing into? You know, like, well, you know, what is it you want to get into? Do you want to, you know, advance in higher education? Do you want to go into different areas? Or is this a, a project, you know, that you want to develop, um, you know, and go with, you know, in the office? Um, so it was... It was great. We had eight, I think eight or 10 folks at a pre-conference session. And we ran out of time. You know, we had eight strangers sharing their life stories and ambitions. Um, and before we know it, three hours were up. We could have, we could have been a whole day session <laughs> in true Nakata fashion. <laughs> you know, so it was something that I feel that you, you really, anyway, could kind of implement that. Um, a lot of, you know, that, a lot of UCAA sessions, um, are like facilitated guided conversations, you know, like even with UCLA, we'll have some sessions are pretty intense. Like it's a full like informational session, but you know, oftentimes short little piece of information. And then I'll have some guided questions, you know, just to kind of facilitate that conversation, but I let it kind of flow naturally, you know, just try to, I try to keep things on the positive. So, what I'm interested in, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, in, in a different sort of way, you have supervisory duties, you've admin duties, you've advising duties, you also have your NACADA duties and your PhD. How do you avoid burnout? Ooh, that's a loaded one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because my director the other day um, said to me, she said, do you ever like sit still? <laughs> Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't really stop moving. Um, I don't have a great answer for you that, on that one, but a lot of what I'm doing, it's not work you know, for me. Like, you know, even taking on the PhD, this is part of my life. This is part of, of who I am. Um, so for me to do an early morning reading session, um, like I, I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy that. Uh, I am, you know, making that Nakata resume was a wonderful reflection exercise there's a lot of things that I have done and am currently doing. Uh, but Vince actually gave me some advice the other day. He's like, Mike, do not let the PhD become like a second priority that has to stay, you know, as a main priority. And I recognize that. And so there's times where I think you have to be okay stepping away from some of the things that you're doing. You know, so for example, I just finished as evaluations co-chair in region one conference committee. I'm not sure if I'm going to take on another conference committee position right now um thinking i might you know step away from that for a little while yeah um, to make room for, you know for uh for the phd um you know so there is no good 
like I guess a good answer. Um, but you know, my children, I play a big factor in keeping me present in my work. Yeah, because when I'm home and I'm dad, yeah, the phone goes on the counter and I'm I'm dad. You know, and I love to play, and so that that's a big part of it. And and I've learned to use that and really compartmentalize. You know, my day. There's a time where I'm student, then there's a time for work, and then there's a time to play. You know, play with my kids. Um, you know, I spend time with my wife. Um, you know, and then there's things that I missed that I used to do regularly that I try to build back in. Like I'm an avid hiker and rock climber. Um, you know, and I didn't get to ski at all this year, but, <laughs> you know, I also recognize I'm not going to be a PhD student forever. Um, so, but for, you know, for, if you're, someone is trying to balance all of this, um, and if it feels taxing or if it's weighing on you, um, I think you have to start to, you know, really, you know, analyze things and look at it and say, is it work for me? Um, you know, because I, I know many folks in the field that, you know, advising might not be the best fit, you know, because we are called a lot. We have to step forward a lot in support of ourselves, our colleagues, our students. We take on a lot. Um, I have learned to not take too much home, um, you know, which is another thing. The email is on the phone and I only glance at it in case something serious pops up. But um, I'm just, I got into a good rhythm uh, with it and, in when we start to see the interconnectedness between the PhD work and my work as an assistant director, um, you know, to me, it, it just makes sense. It makes sense. But yeah, it's the kids. I put a lot of like the kids, they really keep me present. Yeah. They're like, no, you can't work. Yeah. On Sunday, I used to Sunday. My daughter's like, you can't work today. <laughs> I said, but I just want to edit my Nakata resume. <laughs> Well, in this case, your kids become your boss at home. Always. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned like the, the rock climbing. I know that's something that you have on your Twitter. And you also mentioned being a, a fan of LFC, so the Liverpool Football Club. How long have you been a fan and uh, what attracts you to that? Oh, for a long time. It didn't realize it, I think, until maybe like a few years ago, like how deep that passion was. I mean, I was a soccer player in high school, um, did not play in college. Ironically, I ran cross country in college because I didn't make the team at, at Hobart. And so I, I'm like, well, let me go run cross country. Um, coach soccer for, for a few years as a volunteer, um, you know, and in one of the life goals, a bucket list item is to make it to Anfield to, to see a, a live game. Um, but I think what attracts me to, you know, to Liverpool is, the mentality of of that team, um, and with Jurgen Klopp at the helm, um, you know I, the motivation he, he you know um, he has, and the way he works with his players, and how he motivates them, and how he sees them, you know, as individuals and as part of a, a bigger purpose and a bigger team. Uh, there's a lot there that I'm like to strive to, you know, to be like, um, you know, if even with you know with NFL column, like you know the teams that. Um, are, are the great teams are the ones that come together cohesively as a unit, as a team, right? You don't need a, a whole bunch of superstars. You just need the f players to act, you know, develop and work together as a team. And he has done phenomenal work, you know, with, and with Liverpool. Um, so I really admire that. Admire that. And you know, this season right now is not a good season. Um, like we're struggling. Um, I mean, I think we're six on the table, which, you know, for many folks, we struggling. That's great, but not by Liverpool standards. We, we won last year. We want to be able to top again. But how he stays positive and how he keeps that team moving forward, uh, you know, that's 
when your back is up against a wall and you're going through the trenches, right? That's how we develop that character. Um, and he is one of the best. Yeah. One of the best. I love that you both enjoy the game, but you also look at Klopp's leadership and say, are there things I can take and, and bring in to, to make my team stronger, which is fantastic. And I think there will definitely be listeners who will, you know, be really interested in hearing more about your work and, and what you um, have been undertaking. For people who, out there who want to, to get in touch with you to reach out, What's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. Um, I'm big on Twitter. Uh, so at M Giroux advisor. Uh, so M G E R O U X advisor. Uh, the M, the G and the A are capitalized. If I remember correctly, <laughs> Twitter is a great way to, to connect with me. Um, email as well. Um, M at albany.edu. Yeah, that, that works as well. Um, you know, and folks can message me on Twitter. Yeah. Also, yeah. So that's where I spend a lot of my time. I'm on Facebook as well, and not nearly as active on Facebook as you know, Matt. You are like, and Colm. I think both of you on on Facebook. Um, I go through spurts. Facebook is where the pictures of the kids land, um, but my professional um, work um, is in the Twitter world. Yeah. Um, well, I'm always happy to um, deconnect, uh, connect with folks. Um, you know, and I'm on several listservs and reaching out. Uh, to folks to, to learn more, uh, right? You know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. You know, let's they reach out, you know, let's, you know, kind of rely on each other. Um, so I'm always, yeah, always looking to connect with folks. And that's where I've met a lot of my social media friends, people I hope to meet in person soon. <laughs> oh, that's a great way to put it. I mean, there's a lot of people I've met on social media or even through zoom. And then I'm like, I can't wait to meet them and actually in person. Yes. <laughs> But we appreciate you being on, and I can't wait to get this posted because then we can ask Kevin Thomas how you did. <laughs> yes, he's excited to hear it. Excited to hear it. So thank you, um, both you guys. This was this was awesome. So, so happy to be here. Um, love, love. I, you know, I love what you guys are doing. Um, so you know, here's hoping for many, 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 many more future episodes <laughs> with lots of great advising, folks. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Take care. I think Michael's passion for and his commitment to student success shone through in that interview, and he offered some great pointers on peer mentorship programs, amongst a host of other things. We want to say thanks to Sonoma State University for listing Adventures in Advising as a resource for staff and faculty on their website. We're honored to see that. Also, a nice shout out to Amy Brock, our guest on the last episode of the podcast. When we posted about Amy's interview, Anna Spessard I hope I pronounced that right, said, Amy is truly amazing. She advised me at Young Harris College, and I always felt heard and seen during our time together. She focused first on helping me find my passions, and then we created an academic plan I could be truly excited about. Thank you. Thank you. And if you had a chance to listen to the last episode, you can definitely tell how caring Amy is for students and the advising profession. And if you haven't listened to that episode, Pause this one, listen to the last one, and then come back. Cool? All right. So who's up next? Coming up now, it's Alison Scully from McMaster University. All right, 
Allie Scully is a proud Canadian advisor. You can find her helping students reach their educational, career, and personal goals as an academic advisor at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. She's also the chair of the Nakata Canadian Advising Community and part of the planning committee for the 2021 Global Advising Week with Nakata. Allie completed her Master of Science in Academic Advising from Kansas State University and still fangirls when her former professors, Dr. Wendy Troxell and Dr. Lisa Rubin, comment on her Facebook posts. A self-professed resource queen, Allie loves finding and creating tools to elevate advising sessions and learning new creative ways to reach students. Allie is honored, and I am reading a spelling, apparently Canadian spelling with a U, to be part of the Adventures in Advising podcast, as she is a longtime subscriber and hopes to become BFFs with Matt and Colm. <laughs> Allie, how are you? I'm good. Are we best friends yet? I think we are. I, I, yeah, we're, I think we're, we're well on the, the road. I think by the end of the interview, I, I have no doubt, but we, we will be. And uh, you are very welcome. We are delighted to have the opportunity to, to chat to you. And if you've listened before, you know how we always begin. We're interested in hearing about, you know, how you came to work in higher ed, Ali. That's a good question. I actually worked in marketing for... 12 years before that and just kind of kept having this existential crisis of not liking my job, um, switching jobs. I worked in the music industry, so I kept kind of going to the next cool thing. Um, and then I kind of did some soul searching and met with a career counselor, paid some big bucks and realized that higher ed and advising was where I wanted to go. But in Canada, it's a new thing still. Other than career advising, there's not a lot of academic advising. That's changing rapidly. So I didn't really know what education to follow. And then my boss let me know about the Nakata academic advising, and it kind of just set me on that path forward. So it's been about seven years now that I've been in higher ed. Nice. And I know back in January, um, you know, we were all chatting through social media about the possibility of bringing on a guest from the Canadian advising community. And now, of course, from your standpoint, you were thinking of it in terms of within your network, you you know of many advisors that you could be that could be great on the podcast. And so I know when we were asking, hey, well, would you like to be on the podcast? I was like, whoa, well, do you really want me on it? And yes, we, we did. And so we're glad that, that you said yes and that you're here today with us. And so my question for you is, um, back in 2019, you had wrote a blog post titled Q Vitamin C Gradu Graduation Song. And for those who don't know, that is like the graduation song in the early 2000s. And I, I would assume it's still around here and there today. But the singer, I think Vitamin C pretty much did the song based on how friends drift apart after graduation. And now your blog post was about kind of your journey with your master's program. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, thank you for reading my blog post. <laughs> One of five people, but that's awesome. Um, yeah, so it was an interesting journey because I, I knew when I finished university, which was a long time ago, um, that a master's was in my future. I just couldn't figure out <clears throat> what it was going to be in. So it was a long journey for me to figure out, you know, I knew if I was going to be working full time, there's going to be a big commitment. So what was I going to be passionate about? So I was excited when I found that academic advising and I knew like, I'm excited for this. I see the goal coming. It's going to be hard, but let's do this. Um, 
so yeah, it was three and a half years. I took one course every semester and worked full time. Um, so it was, it was a slow struggle, but it it was honestly the best three and a half years. I is so much like self fulfillment and knowledge, and just like excited to take what I was learning and apply it to my job. Um, and now looking back, I'm like, what should I do next? <laughs> but yeah, it was a long, long time coming to figure out what I wanted to do. But once I was there, it was honestly the best experience. And for listeners who, you know, are hearing about that master's and thinking that sounds interesting and Ali's saying really good things about it. What sort of stuff did you cover during the, your studies, Ali? Good question. I like the way you say my name. Um, <laughs> uh, we covered basically everything you would need to know about advising. So, I mean, as you guys know, advising varies very differently from each school. So it focuses more on the, the broader picture. So working with multicultural students, working with students with diverse needs, uh, students with disabilities, um, student athletes as well, um, assessment of advising, research as well, um, the foundations and the theory of advising. One of my favorite courses was the interpersonal relations course. So it was kind of learning those um, micro counseling skills and how you can use those in advising. I think that one definitely elevated my abilities as an advisor greatly. Um, yeah, so that's that's the, the quick turnaround, but it's, it's kind of the, the bigger picture of advising and how you can really, you know, uh, support students on a, a big scale. Absolutely. And in your bio, you gave a shout out to both uh, Dr. Wendy Troxell and Dr. Lisa Rubin. And so they were both uh, former professors of yours. How was each of their teaching styles and what did you like most or I guess learn about with their classes or in their classes? Yeah, it's funny. I've never been like a I guess I've always been a teacher's pet, but I've never been like obsessed with teachers. But because at work uh, in Canada, people um, aren't interacting with the Nakata names and the, the researchers and the Dr. Troxels and Rubens. Um, so if we would go on like a conference and I'd be like, that's my teacher, you know, kind of gave me some cred. Um, so it's, it's really cool to see, you know, I'm reading research about someone and they're teaching me in my next class. Um, yeah, both of them were amazing. Um, so brilliant in, in what they do, but also so caring for their students and going that extra mile. So I had already finished the assessment course with Dr. Troxel and was so excited about what she taught that I then pitched to my boss of let's do this huge assessment project in four months. And and I just kept reaching out to Dr. Troxel to be like, what do you think about this? Should I put a not applicable option, that sort of thing. And she would answer me in two seconds. Um, so that was really cool. And Dr. Rubin, I think, was excited that I was a Canadian because then we could kind of use the Canadian resources that support athletes and bring that aspect into it. Um, but yeah, now that I, I'm on Facebook for advising and they'll comment or message me, it's just like, mm, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Well, they're both uh, fabulous people and uh, do great work. And one of the things you mentioned, I suppose, that the Canadian aspect there and how that was of interest. And I suppose delving a little bit more into that, you're the chair of the Canadian advising community. Can you talk to us a, a little bit about that? Yeah. So as you probably know, that NACADA has different communities um, and many of them are very specific on like topics or type of student you work with. 
So ours is a bit unique in that it's just Canadian advising, so there's no specific area. But it's a really great community and their steering committee, there's about 12 of them. Um, so we're small but mighty and just kind of finding ways to, you know, get Nakata into the conversation, letting people know about the research and opportunities available and um, making advising a profession that's looked upon seriously and that there are, you know, research and theories and, and things that we should be referring to. Um, so we, you know, similar to other communities, put on events that try to bring together everyone. We've had like 500 people show up for these web events, which has been amazing and it keeps growing. Um, so it's really cool to kind of, although we don't have those more narrowed down topics, it's cool just to come together and and learn from each other. And then you're in, is it, you're in your first year as chair? Yes. Yes. <laughs> So I guess, you know, being in your first year as chair of the advising community, um, maybe it's, can you go more into like what are some of the goals of the community? And so far, how has it been for you with, with your duties as chair? I've been really lucky and um, Shay Ellingham um, was my predecessor, if that's the right word. Um, and she has been so good at helping me kind of understand how things work and who to talk to and and what will be effective. So I've been very lucky and she's mentoring me and kind of not just fading into the background, even though she's extremely busy. So that's been helpful. So I would say for any new uh, chair, if you can find either the previous chair or another chair to kind of have that relationship with, it's great. Um, our goals, and Shay kind of worked on this, is to connect, learn, and share. So with everything we do, we try to find ways to connect Canadian advisors share our knowledge. A lot of different schools are doing cool things. Some schools are new to advising and some have been around for a while. So trying to share those best practices and then just learning from each other, especially in this weird virtual world right now where it's all new. Some of us have learned some great things and other ones are struggling in something that the other person has already tackled. So um, just finding opportunities to, to do the connect, share and learn. And I think if I'm not mistaken, one of the events that um, was held recently was a compassion fatigue event. Can you talk a little bit about um, that? Who was involved? And um, I don't know, I, were you able to attend or were, was there any takeaways that you uh, have from that event? Yeah, so that was a very popular event. We had a lot of uh, Americans join us as well. Um so that one, I mean, we just did an outreach to our community to ask, you know, who would like to do a presentation and uh, Brandy stepped forward because she um, had just completed training in compassion fatigue. So we were very excited. And obviously, it's a very important topic. Um, I actually hosted it and there was a lot of technical problems. So what did I learn from that is practice breakout rooms and figure out how they work before you do it. Um but it was, again, I think I heard so much feedback from people that just to have an event that labels what we're experiencing and being able to see that there's 500 other people that are experiencing the same thing, I think just normalized it and made people realize, like, I'm not alone in this feeling of that compassion fatigue. So I think that was the biggest piece of, like, we're in this together yeah and it's, it's all about adapting especially with that technology and especially however things are going to go in the next few months or into into next year do you think based off the feedback of this um like webinar that you might have like a more of a series of, of these or yeah and we were thinking that originally of doing like wellness 
piece. Um, but the community, the well-being and retention advising community is doing, again, such amazing things that I almost, I'm trying to promote their stuff uh, as much as I can to encourage Canadians to attend those. I almost don't want to kind of reinvent the wheel if they're doing such a good job. But I think definitely in my second year as chair, that's something we'll look at. If if the Canadians aren't attending um, those events, then maybe we need to start doing more of those for sure because they yeah they're very popular so when I was doing some research for this interview I stumbled across mention of an advisor training conference and it listed you as the contact and I found that intriguing and I'm really interested in hearing more about it I'm still having nightmares about advisor training conferences (laughs) yeah so in my old role at Humber College, which was in um, Toronto, so they, uh, it's a small community two-year college, and they were, we have a lot of faculty advisors there. So we just started having the role of career and student success advisors, but there was a lot of other people doing advising on campus, so realized that we as the Department of Career and Student Success Advisors were kind of the experts that had access to NACADA and um, res- more resources. So finding a way to train the other advisors so that best practices were happening across campus. So it started off as just like a one day, I think five or six years ago, a one day event that was really just to bring people in. We had some speakers and it just blew up originally to a two day event. And I've been a part of the planning committee um, since day one. Um, But then recently when we went virtual, we did, um, it was three weeks of a virtual events, something pretty much every day. And the good thing about that is we were able to have speakers from NACADA, some, um, we had the people from Utah that did the, um, shoot, what is it? The blunt empathy one. So delivering bad news. Um, I think it was Brigham Young University. So they were able to come. We had some other people from um, across the States and NACADA that could speak And then also getting people from Humber College um, with expertise and knowledge and best practices to kind of share that. So it's a a great way to get Humber together, get them to realize how seriously we take advising as a profession and um, share kind of new research, knowledge, best practices. So it's, it's a great way to kind of bring everyone together. Yeah. And so you mentioned your previous institution and now um, you're at McMaster University. And we asked uh, Michael Giroux from Albany this. um, And how was it like going from, you know, transitioning from one institution to the other? Like you have, you know, of course, different culture climate in terms of like each institution, um, different academic policies, whether it's private, public, that kind of thing. How was it for you to one make that decision to move to McMaster and that transition? Yeah. So I'm in my second-ish month? What are we at? Two and a half months now. Um, So it's obviously the first job I've done where it's been completely virtual. I'm surprised at how well I've been able to integrate with the team. I think having, you know, Microsoft Teams that we use to chat with each other is a really great way to get to know each other. Um, So yeah, I'm surprised at how easy that transition has been in terms of like feeling a part of a team that I've never actually met. Um, But I find that the transition in the job was not that difficult. Um, Although I was at a college and in Canada, most schools are public government funded. Um, So although I was at a college and now I'm at a university, so in Canada, college isn't the same as the U.S. version of college. It's a two-year 
post-secondary diploma. Um, so it's a bit different. Now we're at four years at the university. Um, but I mean, the, the core of it's the same, right? And, and the skills I got from the master's program of advising students and knowing what questions are going to come up are the same. The biggest difference for me was at Humber, we didn't do the nitty gritty like uh, scheduling of courses, registering students, enrolling, doing reports. We were just kind of the success advising piece. So that, I think that's the biggest part of learning the new systems that they use learning what reports and, um, and of course, the policies um, for that school. Um, but I find also, like before I started at the school, the biggest tip I would give to someone if they're switching jobs or institutions is look at the handbooks, look at the policies ahead of time um, so that you can know at least that core information before you start getting all the other new info in your brain. I think that's uh, certainly solid advice and uh, probably good advice for anything that we're doing is read that, read the handbook. Ali, can I take you back though, maybe just to, to your previous role? Cause I know one of the things was that you advise students around um, using social media. So um, for, for career in terms of their, their career and for, for listeners, I'm sure there would, might be listeners out there um, who ha- would be advising students in that or interested in in that topic. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, that and maybe kind of examples of resources that people could look for further information? Yeah, so I think my path was uh, different in that I started off as kind of in the career world first. So I did placement advising and then that led me into the career resource developer, which was a lot of helping students understand social media and how they can use that in their job search. And then I've just been able to use that continually, whether I was a career advisor or now as an academic advisor, um, because it comes up. And as you know, as academic advisors, those career questions, obviously, you can't leave them out and you do need to, to help students because it's tightly tied together. Um, I mean, the biggest tip, I, th- I don't think it's a shocker, is everyone's going to see what you put on social media. So although you're probably as students used to, um, you know, sharing everything that comes through your brain, uh, don't do that. Um, and I think like for me, I, I wasn't on Facebook for years, but now I've gone on Facebook as just a professional advisor and using that specifically for my professional piece. And that's how I've been able to connect with both of you. So um, I think social media is a, a great way in the advising profession, even to connect with people that you may never get to meet or talk to, especially after going to conferences, you can connect from there. Um, but with students, it's an, it's important because it's a great way to find jobs. It's a great way to connect and network with employers or people that you may eventually want to work with that you, again, would never get to talk to. And it's a great way to learn about companies and what they're about and what their values are. Um, and just helping students understand the difference between the professional social media and the lockdown, that personal one, or get rid of it completely. (laughs) Yeah, great tips. And now that you're at McMaster University, can you give a little bit of background about McMaster University for listeners who may not know about your institution? And, you know, and I guess with your role as an academic advisor, the types of student populations that, that you're working with? Yeah, so McMaster is in Hamilton, which is about 45 minutes from Toronto. Um, and it is a research school. It's about mid-sized. It's got about 
33,000 students, uh, undergraduate and graduate. And I work with the nursing students. So I'm the academic advisor with the Bachelor of Science nursing students. So in that role, obviously, I work with high achieving students that had you know, great in science and had really high marks to get into our program. Um, interesting, yesterday I went to a session by NACADA on how to support high-achieving students on probation, and that was very helpful for me in this role um, because you've got, you know, students that were great in high school and then they come to university and realize, I don't have the skills that I thought I had to do well in these intensive science courses. So, Although a big piece and most of the questions I get from students is, if I fail this class, what does that mean for next year? So they think their question is just like a scheduling registration question. Of course, you know, as we know, it's then I'm able to be like, okay, why are you failing that class? What's going on in your life? Um, What supports do you need? How are you studying? What learning skills could you be helping? Can you go to tutoring? All of those things. So I think the students are always surprised that my response is like, let's jump on a video call because there's a lot that we have to talk about here when they just think it's like, if you fail, you can't take this course. So I think that's interesting and and maybe a piece that they weren't getting before until um, the understanding of what advising could be has started expanding in Canada. I imagine, Ali, there will be a lot of nodding going on uh, to that last answer where people are saying, oh, I, you know, I received an email that seemed like a simple question. And the advisor realized, I probably need to delve a little bit deeper here. I mean, that I, I have that experience a lot with uh, even, say, immigration queries. And it seems like immigration query, you delve a little bit deeper and it, it unveils itself to be something else. Now, one of the things um, Matt mentioned in, um, in your bio was that you are involved in helping to plan for the Global Advising Week, which by the time this episode comes out, will be just a, a few weeks down the road. Can you talk to us a little bit about your involvement and what events uh, you are helping to plan? Yeah, so I got looped in again. Shay tapped me on the shoulder so that we had a Canadian representative. Um, So I'm helping out with the games and the self-care aspect. I, I love games. I love Kahoot. I love anything virtual. I think that's why I'm doing so well in this uh, COVID-19 world, because I love Zoom and games. Um, so the games piece, every day, Monday to Friday, we're going to have different games, whether it's uh, Kahoot, we've got Bingo, we got a scavenger hunt, we've got a pet portal. So if you've got a, an animal, you can bring it with you and introduce them to everyone. Um, we've got a Charlie Nutt tribute Kahoot at the end as well, this is a tribute to him. And there'll be prizes, we're going to do live prizes and not live. So we know obviously with different time zones, not everyone can join at the same time. So if you can't join live, there will be ways on social media to join as well and see if you win. And then the self-care side is having activities where the advisors are actually doing the self-care activity and not just sitting and watching and learning and then maybe never doing it. So One of them is learning about uh, gratitude and how uh, great that is for for you as an advisor in self-care, and then learning how to actually make your own cards, your own thank you cards, which is really cool. Um, We've got doodling. So that's a new trend. I don't know. I've been doodling myself, even though I can't draw. Um, So we've got Dr. John Sauter doing that. Apparently, he's a doodling pro. Um, So coming in and just learning simple 
doodles and how that can help you with self-care if you just need to de-stress. And again, you don't need to be a good drawer to join that. Um, we've got happy hour coloring happening. So um, we noticed that one of the communities was doing that and it was quite popular. So we've asked them to do that as well. So you just bring anything that you want to color and it's just a way to, again, to connect with advisors. And then we'll have resources online as well with different meditations and um, self-care tools that you can use. Yeah, I think uh, the Cotta members have received a few emails and it just seems like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of different things, something for everybody during that week. And so hopefully we're able to plan ahead and block some time on our schedules. And because I know for many of us, probably registration is coming up uh, with with our fall term. So yeah, but a lot of great stuff that that's going to be offered. Now, you had mentioned in your bio that you know, you love to find creative tools and elevate advising sessions and learn new creative ways to, to reach students. Um, can you talk more about maybe some of those ways you've been able to do that, especially with how things have been in the world? Yeah, and that was one of the best things that I got from the master's program is the tools and resources that I didn't even know existed that I could take and be inspired by and, and make to work for my students. So you know, as much as we want to ask questions and have the student reflect and talk back to us, I find, especially with the, the career piece, but also the academic piece of like having them write things down. So I love making worksheets um, that help guide their thoughts, help them have something to look back to afterwards, whether it's like a an academic advising plan of like, okay, here's a list of resources you could use, which ones and how do you find them? So they have that. Even if they crinkle it up and put it in their pocket after, I think even just having that reflection time. Um, a lot of career ones as well, the self-reflection and um, thinking about their dreams and, and goals. Um, study habits, I find, are really good with worksheets. I love to ask students, like, write down how you study and then we kind of compare that with what they could be doing um, and doing some self-assessments as well. Like a lot of students will say, like, I, I studied so well. I did all the things. I don't know why I'm failing. So I'm like, OK, let me pull out my one page self-assessment. It's like, here's all the things you should be doing. And then they haven't checked any of them off. So that's kind of an eye opener for them, more so than if I just preach to them, like, you should be doing X, Y, Z. If they see it on paper and realize they're not doing it, um, it's more impactful. So a big project for me when we went virtual was taking all of my resources and making them uh, either fillable or like on a Word document or something that they could use on their computer, especially they don't all necessarily have Adobe and that sort of thing. So just finding ways to um, make those resources and then finding new ones. So like Powtoons, have you guys heard of Powtoons? Yeah. No? Okay. So maybe it's a Canada thing. I don't know. But Powtoons is a really cool, you can do a lot of free stuff on there. Um, but I talked my boss into getting us a, a subscription the education one. So it was cheaper and you can make videos really easy explainer videos. You can make characters that look like you. So um, I helped my team at, at Humber make everyone had their own video of like, hey, I'm an advisor and this is how I can help you. And they really like that. I think advisors really like it. I get so much feedback from advisors because I put it in my um, signature. I'm like, that's cool. So, you know, finding ways to, yeah, do the resources online was one of the funnest things. Well, you have done a fantastic job at it. So kudos uh, to you on that. 
Um, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you have a BD Barnum quote. Uh, no one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it is about that that speaks to you? I feel like you guys have done such good research. I don't know if you can see it behind me. I have that quote behind me too. Um, I know this won't be because it's no video, but um, yeah, I love that. I think I struggled a lot when I started working um, because I'm an introvert and I tend to pretend that I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. After this session, I'll probably go have a nap to be real. Um, so I think I struggled a lot when I first started working, thinking I had to fit into this box of like who I should be, how I should dress, what my personality should be. And I really struggled with that. Um, and I think working in the music industry too, there's like a, a certain type of, of person that you can picture that, you know, loves partying and loves, you know, and I love going to concerts, but I'm not necessarily a partier. So um, feeling like I didn't quite fit in. So I think that was a big piece for me when I was doing my um, career counseling of like, what job can I find that I will feel like I can be myself. But even working in higher ed, there's that pressure of feeling like you have to dress this certain way or, you know, be this certain person depending on where you where you work and as I've seen at different departments I've worked in different schools different faculties that changes even if it's the same school so I think the best thing for me because I am more mature and have more experience of being okay with who I am and knowing that I can still do a good job being myself being a little sarcastic a little shy sometimes um, and helping students realize that that they they have amazing qualities. They have strengths. Helping them tap into that and not feel like they're not good enough in a certain way because of what they think they're supposed to be. Yeah, and so right now, I mean, we're we're in April. Not that you have any definite answers from your institution, but how are things looking at your institution for? Because like right now, you're still remote, correct? Yeah. Yeah. How are things looking in the next few months? <laughs> it changes every day. We are officially in sh uh, lockdown right now. So I know, Matt, you just got your second vaccine. Um, we are told to stay home and not leave our houses unless we need to exercise or um, get food or get medicine. So it's not looking good right now, but it seems like the chatter is back at fall. I mean, not necessarily at McMaster, but just in Canada uh, or Ontario is like, we're going to be back in fall. And I can't tell if that's just chatter or if that's legitimate or what that looks like. Um, so I would say it changes every day. Every time I have a meeting with my boss, it's a, a different message. It seems like they want to obviously get students back to campus. It probably won't be full time. The class sizes are going to be limited. Um, we were all told we would have vaccines by September, but I haven't even had my first one yet. Uh, my mom just got her first one and she's in her 70s. So we're a little behind. So my answer to that is I don't know. <laughs> How's it been for like when students, you know, and I'm sure a lot of other institutions, other advisors have gone through this too, where, you know, students are asking, you know, hey, do you know? And it's like, well, I don't, but here's some things that I might know or, you know, how's the, how have those conversations been? They're weird because it's like, I build a relationship with the students and I want to be honest with them of like, I know it sucks that we don't know. I think even when we first went off, I was supervising like 10 student workers and I was so 
consumed with like, how come no one's telling me what's going on? You know, they must know something and realizing that I hadn't even communicated to my students who are freaking out just as much as me. So um, even now it's the same thing, right? So I, I found that I have to be very kind of closed lips a little bit because I don't want to give them a casual like, maybe someone mentioned this and then they run with it and tell all their students in their group chat that Allison, our advisor's ever coming back. So, you know, I just, if I found, I just have a go-to of when I hear, you'll hear, they'll announce it on email, check out this FAQ on our website and then just kind of stop. But then of course have empathy for them if they're struggling with it. But yeah, being quite tight-lipped because it's true. I don't know anything. Yeah, it is. It's difficult, uh, the uncertainty and, and not knowing. Um, and I think we, we would all like there to be some sort of on-campus experience, whatever that might look like, but we just, we don't know. Um, Ali, we mentioned a couple of times in uh, throughout the interview that you had worked in the music industry and in digging, I found that you worked in HMV once upon a time, which I did also uh, way back when in my college days. Um I know, obviously, there were uh, struggles with uh, with the music industry that you mentioned, but were there fun aspects to working within the industry? Yes, <laughs> which is probably why I stayed in it so long. It was such a weird industry because I joined, all I heard was stories of like, oh, we'd had the biggest Christmas parties and um, we would, you know, this celebrity would come hang out and have lunch with us. And then I joined right at the time when like cutbacks were happening and you never knew if you'd have a job the next day. So it was a bit of a roller coaster, but free concert tickets. I got to meet John Mayer, who I love. Um, and, you know, just doing cool things, getting access to, to music CDs, um, that was a thing back then. Um, yeah, and HMV was cool. I worked at the head office and got to like work with the different stores as well. We launched like an online digital music site. So that was really cool because it was almost like I was the enemy because I was doing like the online music store, but then still making relationships so that people still liked me because I want them to still have jobs. So yeah, but no, it was really cool. And yeah, the lots of lots of fun stuff. Yeah, the sad thing is there's people that are like, what are CDs? I know. None of you, though. You guys know, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I, I was around when we had cassettes. Okay, <laughs> so, good. good. We had to use the pencil to uh, yep. <laughs> rewind it. Yep. When you awesome. heard your favorite song on the radio and you wanted to record it on your tape. And I would always get upset if the DJ kept talking as a song was playing. And I was like, no, now I got to listen like for probably a whole couple more hours and see if it can record again. But That's the yeah. worst. <laughs> but those are some fun days yeah and as we kind of wind down uh, with with the interview like you know you talked a lot about the Nakata Canadian Advisor community if advisors you know want to help with some of those goals or be a part of the that advising community how can they get involved good question um so we're on Facebook so you can just search uh Canadian Advisors um and you should find it um we've got Nakata Canadian Community you can google that and you should get to our website which will have a lot of information about our events and resources and how to contact me um best way is probably contact me so uh, my email is scully s-c-u-l-l-y dot ally a-l-l-i at gmail.com um I just switched jobs, so I figured Gmail was better than doing my new email. Um, so that's the best way. And, of course, we're always looking for steering committee members, uh, people to join our events and come help us come up with ideas to connect, learn, and share with each other. So, yeah, don't be afraid. Reach out. We want you. 
I think there'll be plenty of listeners who'll be inspired by your creativity and innovation that will definitely want to reach out. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, we can say uh, at the at the end of the interview, yeah, we're definitely friends. So uh, we, uh, we, we we need to hang out at some point and uh, maybe we can craft friendship bracelets uh, when we're uh, next, uh, next all in the same place, whenever that may be. Ali, this is... Don't tease this me. This has been... Well, no, it'll happen eventually. Um, it will, it will. 2028? <laughs> by the time Ali and I get vaccines it may be but it will happen and uh, look this has been a pleasure Ali we'll definitely have you on again at some point in the future but thank you for taking the time to chat to us today thank you Ali, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Honestly, it was great hearing about your path and time in academic advising, plus the great things and creative ways you're engaging your students at McMaster University. And yes, I think we can say that we are now BFFs. That will do it for this episode. If you don't already, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And also follow us on social media for updates. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Advising Podcast. Until next time, take care and keep advising.